when people first start meditating, the common, most common problem that people will face is that they have all these thoughts. They wasn't aware of having all these thoughts because they're busy. Uh, but when you sit still, you suddenly become very aware of all of, all of these thoughts. Then the next level will be the realization that, hang on a minute, most of these thoughts aren't even mine. They're almost like echoes or remnants of things that we've heard or picked up and they just go on and on and on, like in a type of echo chamber. So we have to be quite, quite particular about almost um, seeing the silence of our mind and almost the purity of our essence as something that has to be valued. And that that's something that we should value greater than just trying to fill our minds with this, that and the other. Yeah, at least the term for me, I mean, I haven't necessarily studied it in depth like other people have, but the term for me that comes up is super conscious. I don't know if that kind of basically what you're describing too is like having a super conscious activated. Because I mean, I definitely, when I've practiced silencing my mind and things like that, it's like almost like some kind of super conscious function starts to happen. And like, you're like so crystally alert and awake that it's just like, yeah, you can see these thoughts or things from a mile away and, or get answers quickly like that and then when you don't have it on it's kind of like yeah all the thoughts and everything you get submerged into them and then it's like you're almost drowning in a sense but is that is that something that maybe you've termed that you've used yeah. or maybe looked into well mr gurdjieff he the way that he articulated it many many times is he said that humans have two conscious minds we're living in the wrong one at a lower level so that was his kind of impartial critique of humanity so we have two conscious minds we're living in the wrong one at a lower level and this is where it starts to become very very interesting so his his idea that we have two conscious minds i think he's referring to conscious subconscious or and this is another another clue in his writings all and everything uh the character will say what humans say it is but it doesn't mean to say that's what it is. So he would say, as humans, or people call it the subconscious. So he's not saying it is the subconscious. He's saying that's what we call it, and that's what we know it as. And many, many years of research, my conclusion is pretty much that we've been almost tricked into being in the wrong part of our mind at a lower level. Um, if you look at esoteric studies and even occultism, um, they would suggest historically humans haven't always had this conscious subconscious dichotomy. Um, probably connected to uh, Atlantis when uh, people were more highly evolved or humans were more highly evolved. They didn't have this uh, dichotomy between the conscious and subconscious. They had one mind. So they were able to access uh, the greater aspect of their consciousness. So through the work that we actually practice um, in esoteric studies, it's almost like we're pulling back the veil of the subconscious and the conscious mind. So we get to access the, um, the benefits of the one mind or the unconscious. Now, I also think this is all, also part of the control system that they want you kept in the conscious mind, which potentially could be the wrong mind at a lower level. 
when in actual fact we could access all of the mind which could also be connected to the collective consciousness as well so we're living basically well under par we're not reaching our potential we're not maximizing our possibilities as a species and it's almost like that is the that is the trick that is what has been done to us for one uh, reason or another um now we're living in a time where we don't even question the subconscious we don't even investigate we don't even look uh Gershif also said it's the equivalent of a man living in the basement of a mansion and he doesn't even realize that the that he's living in the mansion but just in the basement very similar to plato's cave analogy yeah well um so so when you try to question your subconscious or whatever like when you try to go into it is that just simply self-observation is that simply um what is well, like to go into those you could say mansions yeah that would take us to this uh concept of thought incubation for problem solving so we may have we, we have problems on a day-to-day -day basis uh humans are designed to solve problems uh i would say that that is the main purpose of humans is to problem solve if people don't uh, almost celebrate their ability to problem solve they're almost missing the whole point of the human experience uh, animals, creatures can solve problems, but nowhere near on the same level that humans can. Now, because of this almost ignorance of this function of solving problems, it's been uh, almost abandoned and left to a few people that uh, either don't fully understand problem solving or end up creating the um, problem reaction solution where they get to control reality. And bearing in mind that if you look at uh, the dream world, the dream world is stories, it's tales, it's uh, uh, parabolic, it's, um, it's, yeah, it's literally all about stories that we have in our mind, okay? Reality is no different. Whoever gets to control the story gets to control reality. So, over the last three years, there's been a particular, uh, and I won't say certain words, there's been particular narratives, there's been particular stories or versions of what happened. Okay. Um, and because they're able to uh, control and dominate the narrative, that has now become a reality. And in the history books, it will go down as a factual history. Okay. For me, I didn't allow it to be my story. I, using the trichotomy of control, I placed my focus on the third, the one third that I can control. I can control that story. And then I became aware of those trying to create another story that I could not control. The same with most of the problems in the world. I can't control those stories. You can watch the news and you can kind of, uh, make a decision as to what story you want to believe, um, but you can't control it. So I focus my energy, my time on the story that I want to happen. And then between my story and the story that I can't control, you get like that kind of third space where I've been able to influence, but not give up my version of reality. And 
if I'm honest, and I know there's quite a few people that are also experiencing the same that did similar things, they've they've actually come to a realization that over the last three years, where this kind of monstrosity of a story it was trying to take over our existence or our version of reality, either failed, and they've actually done so well in the last few years when really they shouldn't have done anything. They should still be stuck in 2020. Now, whether this is to do with some kind of planetary or uh, some kind of um, energetic alignment, where those who wanted to control our reality seize that moment because they had to, because it, it was a, um, a, a good time for some kind of change in reality on a planetary level, they've chosen that window of opportunity for a reason. So I said in around about 2021, well, actually, it'd be a good idea if we did the same. And I, I can say, hand on heart, that my reality has changed for the better. Wait, did you have like enough time to plan during that time? Was it like, because um, at least for me during that time when the flu, when the flu broke out or something or the cold, <laughs> um, uh, I mean, I was unemployed, so I had a lot of time to like, you know, meditate and mm -hmm. I mean, actually, during that time when I was meditating a lot, I didn't have any, you know, I wasn't working. I mean, I started to, like, access super high states of consciousness just because I wasn't necessarily putting in some of my energy into, you know, my job or whatever. So all my energy is just going into meditation. I started to, like, have super intense experiences. Sure. Um, so, I mean, that, that's what how I kind of spent my time. But it's like, I mean, for you, like, what did you spend your time doing? Was it planning? Did you still work or did you? What kind of, how did you um, ahead? Well, in 2020, I got hit hard. I lost my business, okay? So um, everything I just said, you could say, well, you can disregard that because I got heavily affected by their story. Well, yeah, I did. But equally, and I've always used this as a maxim, whatever is created um, to hold me back is equally designed to push me forwards. So, yeah, I had a few days where I was very sad and upset about what was taking place. Um, while simultaneously, I was able to accumulate enough energy to say, hang on a minute. If, if there's a time and if there's a window of opportunity for change, those that are in the know will know. So if they're making such big changes in this moment, that equally means that we can do the same. And once the penny dropped for that, I was then able to um refocus using the trichotomy of control refocus on what i can do so um i was able to use uh thought distillation i was able to use problem solving so any problem that i faced about a new business new opportunities how am i going to navigate my way around this world with all these restrictions to the, i would simply um use a thought incubation of after the, um, the distillation of the question plant it um, just before I went to sleep. And when I woke up, I had very clear, precise answers and solutions to the questions that I was asking consistently. So I was able to implement those and literally change my reality, um, even though there was another reality, uh, uh, I call it the they reality, were trying to impose on my reality. 
but my reality was actually strong enough to withstand it not only withstand it but almost be ignored by it in some strange way it's almost like there's a reality over there but it's not my reality but it's okay uh i can be in the world but not of it and i think that's the true meaning of that it's being in the world and not of it so you can have your own story and at the end of the day like nobody truly knows what is real and what's not real and we could be in a dream right now you know the there's a lot of evidence to suggest that everything is a dream like i generally don't go 100% with that but i do i do uh, think i do uh, feel i do sense the dreamlike nature of the waking state reality and just to just to finish that bit off um i also think that reality is more fluid than we're led to believe yeah and then one thing that i mean looking at gorgeous work and also from my own personal experiences um you know meditating and stuff I mean, because some of the meditations I do, for example, were actually kind of linked to Gurdjieff, I would say. Um, the person that I learned it from was, they knew somebody named Theodore Nottingham, which is, he kind of links oh, yeah. Gurdjieff's work between, did you yeah. know about him? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, so, yeah. yeah, he links Gurdjieff's work between Orthodox Christianity and stuff like that. But yeah. um, w one of the things that happens is that we're hypnotized by our senses, you could say, like our five senses. And so when you practice, you know, certain kinds of meditation, when you realize, like, you know, your sense of sight, for example, is happening the same way that your lungs are breathing like it's just happening automatically on its own so when you kind of like observe that and realize you kind of you know the, the sleepness of it then you can kind of put distance between you, your sense of sight and then your observer and that's when you become unhypnotized from your senses and then when that does happen and you learn to like not identify with you know the five senses and things like that then that fluidity starts to happen um and then you, i mean you can kind of relate it to I mean, that verse in the Bible where it's like, uh, you know, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to come like a child again. And I mean, what that means for me, at least, is just like you know, all the programming, all the conditioning that you had about what reality is, how to see things. For example, like your parents tell me or tell you, like, look over here, like, listen to me. So, you you know, you're kind of trained to like, OK, let me pay attention like that or let me look this way. Or so when you, when you start to unlearn all these things and you start to become like a child again then yeah, you start to access some kind of, you know, the kingdom of heaven or like some kind of ethereal space, which is like, you know, no words or anything can really describe. Uh, yeah. So I mean, I've always had that sense too, especially doing work on myself like that. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah, well, you could say that the whole, the whole work for all esoteric studies is um, the integration of our functions and so that we're no longer dysfunctional. So if we were normal, natural, fully functional, um, a lot of the problems wouldn't even be there. They wouldn't, they wouldn't even exist in the first place. And then we wouldn't be snowed under with problems in, in the world and personal problems. We would actually have uh, a lot more time and space to deal with particular problems that came up. And most of those problems can be rectified in the dream, the dream states or dream worlds. Um, I just want to touch upon something because you mentioned about the senses. So, um, and this was mentioned in uh, the film Inception. So, when they spoke about the kick or the unbalancing as being a technique, okay, 
that would actually be the description of the sixth sense. Okay, so we're educated to believe or to think that we only have five senses. Okay, but I, I'm sure uh, I looked on Wikipedia maybe a year ago and it actually listed seven. Um, but we're educated to only trust the five senses. Okay, and the the sixth sense is the vestibular system, which is connected to our balance. Okay, so when we when we're in homeostasis, when we're in the parasympathetic, when we're not suffering from dis-ease or chronic tension or involuntary tension, we then have the ability, once our five senses start to integrate, it then activates and opens at the sixth sense or the seventh sense. And that would be the sense of, of uh, balance uh, movement uh, and also attention or paying attention to our balance and movement. Now, and think about this, right? We use the sixth sense all the time, but we're just not conscious of it. So when we're walking, when we're running, when we're riding a bicycle, when we're skateboarding, when we're surfing, you generally know um, um, how to balance, okay? But what is that sense? It's not one of it's not one of the five senses. It's the sixth sense, and I, I don't think it was a coincidence that they use the sixth sense as a technique for the kick in the film Inception. Okay, so you would know if you were upside down, you know if you was laying sideways, you know many different things. The same way the body, when it's asleep, it knows when it's uh, laying horizontally, when it's in a prone position. Okay, so that means that the sixth sense is available. And it's very common that people wake up because they suddenly feel like the sensation of falling. Yeah. Or slipping over, which we've already already mentioned. Now, you can actually train that technique, and that technique is largely trained in martial arts for balance purposes. Um, but it can actually be extended. Um, so, if we're able to be conscious of that sensation of balance and the attention to our balance, and this is where I I uh, strongly believe that Gurdjieff's movements it's heavily connected to the sort of um, asystematic movements um, where the left and the right hemispheres are doing different things simultaneously and the acute attention and awareness to that. I think that's heavily linked to this sixth sense. So I'll get to the point. If we can develop the sixth sense and even the seventh sense, and I, I suspect there's way more senses than that, um, it gave, gives us a greater um, potential and possibility for our existence, especially in the dream world. And this is also connected to why we have sensations of floating or flying and things like that. That would be the sixth sense. And then, uh, wait, what's the seventh? What's, what would be the seventh one? At least, what uh, do you think it is? A spatial prediction or proprioception. Okay. No, if you look at modern sports and therapies, they already now talk about proprioception. So those senses have been dismissed for many, many years. We're educated to think or believe we have five senses. That creates a massive limitation. Yeah, of course, we use proprioception all the time in order to for me to pick up this cup. I'm using my sixth and seventh sense. But because of my education system, 
I wouldn't go any deeper into it. And if you look at a lot of the esoteric uh, exercises and, and studies and the areas of interest, it's predominantly in those six and seventh uh, senses because they've been so heavily neglected over time. And we need to go deeper into those. And I, I and, and, and uh, think about this. If we're talking about the six and seven senses of the vestibular system and proprioception, which is connected to balance, spatial prediction, intuition, and all these things, that is actually the dream world <laughs> for the most part. And this is why it can feel or appear to be very uncanny because we're trying to perceive the dream-like nature of those worlds, the nebulous worlds and the fluid worlds from the five senses. And those five senses probably can't compute them well enough. But when you factor in or bring in to play the six and seven senses, along with the five senses, then that gives you a greater possibility for the extraction of that data, knowledge or download. I also think there's an importance with magnetism when it comes to dreams. like. This entire sleep process, for example, too, I think some form of magnetism opens or happens. Like, for example, like when you start to fall asleep, I think you get pulled in a certain, like, I think you get pulled into the heart and you get pulled into different, you know, uh, realities and things like that. And you keep getting pulled or, I mean, different stuff like that can happen. Um, I mean, do you think magnetism plays a part in, uh, like, dreams or anything? Do you think, like, um, there's some kind of magnetic or... Um, force that is um, either pulling you to dream and also that you used to operate in the dream? Yeah, well, if, if we work on the assertion that the mind or the intellect is electric and the heart or the emotions is uh, magnetism, then from that perspective, then yeah, definitely. Um, and also, uh, even in our language that we use, so we say that we fall asleep. So it's like there's this notion of falling uh, Gershev talks about the law of falling, uh, which, <laughs> without getting uh, too much into the physics of, say, push and pull, um, I've actually been kicked off of um, some podcasts for bringing up the subject of push and pull. Uh, I, I probably um, won't mention it. Although I, I've got I short... uh? I'm, I'm open-minded, so I don't, I don't get people <laughs> out like that. <laughs> no. Okay. Well, technically, there is no... Um, there is no uh that there is only the push force there is no pull force okay now this kind of glitches most people when they hear that because they've been so indoctrinated to believe that push and pull are equal forces there is only and, and this is almost like the greatest occult esoteric secret that once you get the gist of this it opens up a whole new world or reality for you um hence a lot of people who are heavily programmed will take this badly this is bad news to them because they like to believe in this uh, dualistic nature of push and pull forces are equal okay now the action yeah there's a pulling action but there's no pull force um the easiest way to describe it so if you're if you walk up to a door that is opening uh to the inside, yeah, not the outside. You have a handle, okay? You have to have a handle. Why? Because there's no pull force. 
So you have to take hold of the handle and push it from behind. You're pushing the handle from behind to create a pull action. If there was such a thing, or if we could use the pull force, it means that you could walk up to a door, up to a glass on the table, and put your hand out and draw the object to you. But you can't. Uh, in order for this glass, I don't know if you can see it on the camera, for North this glass to get closer to me, I have to either have a handle or push it from behind. There is no mechanism that I can pull this object to me unless I use telekinesis. <laughs> I don't know if that makes exactly. sense. Yeah, I don't know if you read this book called Reality Transurfing, but they kind of break it down pretty well. Um, I mean, it basically talks about there's inner, inner intention and there's outer intention. So inner intention is like your ability to do. So like if I were to say, for example, go do 100 push-ups or something, I have to push myself to do it. Whereas outer intention is, again, being drawn towards it. And so the kind of like the mind and the soul operates based off of outer intention versus inner intention, which is like... Um, how he describes it but basically it's just your ability to do something like that so he talks about basically i mean in the book he kind of goes over how a lot of people from old like atlantis things like that had mastered an outer intention which is yeah. the ability to have so like for example you talked about the cup right there if you want to have that cup and pull it towards you 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 know or you do, you would use outer intention but if you want to like you know the ability to do and like move it around or whatever i mean it's not necessarily yours if you can't pull it towards you in a sense that makes sense. Yeah. Wow. Well, um, years ago, I used to have dreams that I was, uh, and this is when I was a child, I used to have dreams that I was sat at a desk, almost like in a school, and I was being taught telekinesis. So I had to sit at this desk and I had to move objects. And there was a teacher there, and it, was, it always used to mystify me as a child but that I had this dream. But it was always connected to this whole idea or the physics of push and pull which is telekinesis so it's the ability to move something without touching it yeah even to push it away from you or to magnetize it towards you now in a dream there will be nothing to prevent you from using those uh, the uh, magnetism other than your own the, the own your own limitations of your own mind or your own beliefs yeah so i think a lot of the dream world in terms of problem solving is actually connected to teachers certain even laws of physics and uh, metaphysics so like the ability to fly i remember having a dream and I, I suddenly became lucid and i was walking down the street and there was somebody walking next to me and i started talking to him and i said you do realize we're in a dream and we can fly and he looked at me as if to say, like, are you crazy? So then I literally, through a type of relaxation, I was able to uh, levitate up onto the rooftops. And then I was able to fly from one rooftop to another uh, with this person watching me. Now, who this person was, I'm not sure. It could have been another aspect of myself. It could have been uh, somebody that I projected into the dream. But the point is this. Um, when I woke up, I was left with a sensation that we have way more potential and possibilities and that we, um, most of our limitations are because of self-limitations. 
especially when it comes to the, uh, the creative aspect of our existence. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I also had dreams like that too. It's kind of funny. Or telekinesis <laughs> and like uh, levitation. Like the levitation was actually quite interesting because it kind of left me with the same feeling that you had. Um, but like basically in that dream, I was in a classroom as well. And then there's like this teacher, I think it was like a lady or something, but everybody was at a, at a desk or something. And it's kind of like the dream kind of just, just then focused on me. Like kind of people were kind of tuned out and I was at my desk. And all of a sudden like I got pushed back, like almost as if, yeah, someone like pushed me back. And then like I saw a grid or something, like a grid layout. And then I was, um, intuitively I knew that was like the grid layout of gravity or something. And then as soon as like I shifted all that grid layer, then I was like able to levitate because I kind of transcended that in a sense layer of reality or something. And it's yeah. kind of like teaching me how to levitate, but I mean, it's kind of. Well, I think, so as an example, um, and something we have to really factor in, and this, I'll go back to stories, tales, and the parabolic nature of analogies or allegories. Okay, so if you have a dream where you experience like a conscious uh, uh, levitation or the ability to fly or something that you would ordinarily say supernatural when you wake up and you're left with a sensation of wow uh, I was able to go past my ordinary uh, possibilities and capabilities it wouldn't necessarily mean to say that you can fly in this reality it's more of a message or a code to tell you um, that you have the ability to do way more than you're than you're currently doing in your ordinary being existence. Yeah. Um, so it's important. Yeah. So you may not get a direct uh, when it comes to ex the extraction of answers or solutions to problems that we've asked the question for. We may not get a, a necessarily a direct answer. It could be encoded. It could be almost parabolic in nature. So, but we do get to experience it in terms of our senses, especially the sixth and seventh sense. Um, because we get spatial prediction in the seventh sense, which means you're able to potentially predict a threat, hazard or danger in the future, but not from the perspective of, of uh, worry or anxiety about the unknown. So when we come back into our waking uh, state or waking sleep state or our ordinary reality, um, even though we may not have had the direct answer, we may get the answer in terms of a sensation. As long as we can remember that sensation. And I think it's important not just to kind of write down, uh, I don't know, I saw a horse f flying and the horse was uh, chestnut brown. So that means I have to look out for a horse. And No, it may not be that at all. Um, we need to learn to be able to translate the parabolic nature of analogies and stories. And that can only come through the practice of uh, self-observation, self-remembering, and paying attention to the detail of our existence. And it kind of goes back to like our episode two where we talked about um, I mean, impressions, like using impressions as food. Is that kind of what it is where like as soon as you're left with depression after a dream kind of use it to yeah. you know make yourself stronger or better than you were last time yeah well uh, ordinarily due to the kind of low level of uh self-consciousness or self-observation 
self-awareness um we may be left with a kind of the remnants of a dream sensation that kind of doesn't make any sense um but that would normally just be due to the kind of level of our self-awareness and it may not make sense straight away but it might make sense tomorrow next week um the other thing to factor in is that we may actually have a series of dreams maybe the problem is too big the problem has to be broken down into like uh subversions of of the problem so we have like micro dreams of that but it's still connected to the the problem that we've that we've asked to be solved um so it is it does become like a craft it becomes like a not a hobby but it's something that you have to be interested in it's something that you have to pay attention to you have to invest in it you have to pay attention so we have to pay it's not necessarily for free in order for us to get the answer but it's something we can work on and i always encourage students when when um i bring these subjects up and, and it was actually mr gurdjieff he said that it's useful to carry aims that are small enough to put in your pocket so rather than having like a, a, an aim or like a, a question of like oh how can i fix the whole world of all the problems that's too much of a big question you're never going to get the answer for that so we have to go through this process of uh, uh distillation and redistillation of that question so um and i'm, I'm going to say this just for uh, for practical terms for anybody that's listening that might be interested in this uh, or curious at least so we need to in terms of self-observation we need to break our lives down in terms of okay I'm going to have 12 categories of my existence. It could be any number. You could break it down to five, but let's say 12. Um, what are the categories of my existence? Well, they're going to be very similar to everybody else's. You need money. You need somewhere to live. Health, relationships. Basically, they're all the things that people would generally ask a psychic if they wanted an answer for. Yeah, There's a lot of commonalities in uh, the questions that people ask psychics. It's generally about money, health, love, and future work or where they're gonna live. Um, and then, so so you break your existence down into those, and then you just take one of those subjects. So for instance, if we took, um, I don't know, occupation, take that subject of occupation, and then we're gonna distill that even more. So what, what about, uh, my occupation do I really need to know about and out of that you may break it down again it could be another 12 times anyway you go through this process of of mind mapping and, and distillation until you get to a point where you have complete clarity of the question and even Gurdjieff he used to talk about like the problem is that we don't have the language we don't understand if there's 10 people in a room and you show them the same thing they'll come up with different answers okay so when we go through this process of um distillation of the question we want that question to end up being as pure as we can then we have a possibility of getting a direct answer for that question when anybody says ah oh, you know i don't get any answers to my problems it's probably because you're not asking the right question so there's a sweet spot to get an answer to a question like a certain way to impress your mind or whatever to where it'll give you an answer 
Yeah, and it's not it's not it's not uh, it's not as mysterious as we kind of might think it is. I mean, if I asked you right now, uh, how do we solve the problem of war in a certain place? It's a big in question. Is that rhetorical or are you asking me? Sorry? Is that rhetorical or are you actually asking me? No, it's rhetorical. Um, oh, okay. I was like, oh. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but it's a big question. Um, but if I said something like, uh, I've got a glass of water here. I'm thirsty. What should I do? <laughs> you could probably answer that. Drink the water. Yeah. 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 So um, we, have to we have to factor in scale when it comes to problems. Anyway, if you're new to this sort of thing and you want to break away from having to ask somebody else, ask this, that, read a book, uh, go to a consultant, pay loads of money for whatever, practice, start using thought incubation, start asking your dream world to start solving problems for you. Now, I strongly recommend that you don't take a very important question to start with you know, like uh, a life and death question. I wouldn't start on that uh, that level. I would start on very simple. Yeah, these, these are functions that have been laid dormant for probably the majority of our adult existence. So we have to be gentle, we have to go easy on ourselves. So we can start with very, very small, uh, simple questions, and also questions there that we can, uh, uh, decipher or distinguish whether we got an answer or not. So we avoid like complexities. We keep it simple. Um, you can even do some experiments. You can have a bit of fun with experiments. You could almost do like a blind or double blind experiments where you could put something in a box that you don't know and see if you can um, uh, extract what it is in the box. So you cross it over into into the realms of like remote viewing, uh, things like that. Um, there's a, it's a fascinating and interesting, but most of all, a very practical way of accessing information and data. And a final question here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's very good information, but um, yeah, final question. What is one thing that you would like to dream? One thing that I would like to dream uh at this moment in time probably world peace <laughs> if we could experience uh yeah or at least um, a, a heavy reduction of conflict on a day-to-day -day level on the micro and the macro um i think yeah and also um i was going to say uh, something before you said to finish off on when you really when you really uh distillate everything that we're talking about and this includes the esoteric the occult um dream hacking and all these things most of it comes down to one thing and it's relaxation yeah the ability to consciously relax so um i'm saying this after the the question that you are asked me because world peace it would actually be like the whole world got a day off the whole world got 
an opportunity to actually relax, to actually go into um, the parasympathetic homeostasis. If the whole world could do that, like an official day off where we could all be relaxed, we would literally see this whole world, our, our whole reality would transform uh, right before our eyes, our senses, all seven of them. <laughs> so, yeah. so let's, let's start a petition to a day of relaxation. <laughs> but um, could be yeah. worth a pop. I mean, if things get much worse, then uh, we we might have to try every every uh, possible way to do things. But, yeah, I mean that that would be my that would be my advice um, to anybody that's watching this podcast, listening to it, um, uh, and in the future is and and this is what is really being hidden from us this is what is really being occulted uh i wouldn't worry too much about all this kind of uh, magical mysterious stuff start to look at the more functional practical aspects of what is being hidden from your own existence and your freedom the freedom to go from one system into another and then only return to the system of the sympathetic nervous system fight flight and freeze when it's useful or when you need to and you can consciously leave that system and return to normality and just that alone will start to solve a lot of problems because most of the problems are either manifestations or emanations or projections of our unconscious tension there's some wise words to end on. So <laughs> thank you for coming on. And I'll link all of Lee's stuff at the beginning of the video as well as in the description. So you guys can go check out his um his channel and what he's doing. Very potent, powerful information. So yeah, thank you for coming on once again. Yeah, I just want to thank you, Ezekiel. Uh it's always a pleasure coming on your platform. And uh yeah, and I hope um I hope and I sincerely hope that people that watch this podcast can get something useful from this. Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to promote kind of, mm, kind of useless, mystical, magical things. Um, I'm really big into practical applications of magical and mystical things, but the practical application of it on a day-to-day -day basis. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.